0: Welcome to the Fade to Gray Podcast. My name is Seth, and this week the men of Fade to Gray sit down with the one and only Josh Wing to discuss aspects of his life and hear his story. Josh Wing is a 35-year-old man and the father of five children. He is a community living instructor and works exclusively with a man suffering from a brain injury. For fun, Josh can be found writing music, playing guitar, ukulele, and the banjo. He has been married for 15 years to a beautiful woman. Josh considers himself a novice scotch and whiskey connoisseur, and it should definitely be mentioned. He has many, oh and I mean many, leather-bound books on shelves made of rich mahogany. But before we jump into this incredible conversation, I would like to provide a disclaimer of sorts. Here at Fade to Gray, one of our core values is honesty and transparency, being able to open our eyes to see other people's perspectives and hear about their experiences. In today's episode, Josh shares some very intimate details about his life, ranging from living with someone who has a serious medical condition, and also his story of sexual abuse and how he is healed. In discussing such topics, there may be moments where some members of the Fade to Grey podcast may say something that you find offensive, or let's say, insensitive. Let me be clear. This was a conversation with friends. Josh is no stranger to the Fade to Gray podcast family. We consider him one of our own. This conversation was natural and organic, it was not manipulated or construed. Therefore, I ask that you provide us some grace on this episode. If you yourself have been through trauma and have suffered any form of sexual abuse, I want you to be aware that this is something that we are going to discuss. If this story resonates with you, I want you to know that there is help available, and there is hope that things can and will get better. At the end of this episode, I will share some of those resources with you, to help you get started on that journey. Now, with no further ado, dive in with us as we meet the one and only Josh Wing.
1: So how old are all your kids, Josh? You have five of them. Don't ask me questions like that.
2: Yeah, how old's the oldest? Damn it. Um, My oldest is 13. He'll be 14 in December. Damn. And then I have a... Uh, see it's all changing now because it's birthday season um let's see uh 11 year old uh nine no she'll be nine in a couple next week um and then six and four
1: Wow that's a houseful
2: did I name off five was that five numbers you did yes, yes. okay okay just making sure that is definitely
1: a houseful.
3: Was that something that you always thought of as a kid? Like I want, like all of like that's that's half of a basketball team, right?
2: <laughs> okay, so we're gonna get into this. Um, technically, so okay, technically I have six kids. Uh, we had our second one. We lost the Sids. So oh, after that's after oh. we lost Sarah. Um, my wife and I, you know, in in our grand wisdom, were like, "Uh, well, we're just gonna have as many kids as God will allow us to have." And then, when I heard Kalen in the bathroom go, "Oh shit!" after peeing on the stick the last time, I said, "God, you're fucking nuts. We're done." And I got snipped. <laughs> <laughs> she gone.
3: So, so stopping at five.
2: It, yeah, yeah. We we feel like we're... Like, when we got to three, we felt pretty solid. When we got to four, we looked at each other and were like, we're, we're, we're overrun. We're, we should stop. And then we were going to wait, like, two or three years before we had another one. And... I don't know what happened. Uh, Forgot a condom one day. Something. You always hear people talk about getting snipped uh, and how it's really not that big of a deal. Would you agree with that? It wouldn't have been a big deal. However, I actually got an infection. Oh. So that was a big deal. Um, I woke up one morning and my left testicle was like three times the size of my right. So I knew there was a problem.
3: I bet that didn't hurt um, at all.
2: No, not at all. It felt felt real good. Um, nice. Yeah. No. It was. Kaelin hates when I share this because she's like, "That's embarrassing." I'm like, I, "What? It's it's a rite of passage." My testicle was the size of a softball. That's something to talk about here. Yeah, that's that's bragging rights,
3: dude. I me? mean,
2: you know, everybody talks about having big balls. I had the biggest ball you could possibly imagine. So
3: bigger that's a than rite your of fist. Passage
2: bigger than my fist i don't know if it was quite that big it makes sense
0: why you have five kids
3: (laughs) well we got a drainer again
2: (laughs) but yeah exciting stuff
3: amazing
1: so how long have you been married then almost 16 years Okay, so started basically right away. And and how old are yeah, you? Yeah, you're trying to figure
2: out if we were doing it before, didn't you? Yeah, weren't you? Yeah, Ooh, I figured you out. Gotcha. We were not fucking before.
1: Within three months of me being married, we got pregnant, too. That's what I was just trying to, just trying to figure that yeah, out. Yeah, no, that's... Um, and how old you are, we too. We found
2: now. out we were pregnant uh, six months after we got married. Yeah, that's pretty quick. So, um, yeah, I think it was... No, it might have been a year, because we were going to wait a year before starting to have kids, um, and then Kaylin started begging me about three months. I finally gave in at six months, and then from six months to a year, uh, we spent the nights cr- her crying in the driveway, wanting a baby and thinking it would never happen, <laughs> and me going, "No, it's fine. It'll it'll be all right." It'll, yeah. and then you know, And it'll
3: happen five times,
2: and now and now five later, we're like. I can't believe that was us. I can't believe that was. Us.
1: <laughs> and to answer. Uh, and you have a 16 year old too. Yeah. 14. So how, 14. Okay. And so how old yeah, are you? Then? Yeah. Yeah. With a 14 year old. I'm 35. Wow. Okay.
2: Wow. Yeah.
4: You must have found the fountain of youth brother because oh, I uh, that skin is perfect.
2: Isn't it? It's called um, good Jeans.
4: You and I are the same
2: age. Well, you, you look good for 35. I didn't think you were 35 either. Appreciate it. I was guessing late 20s, maybe. <laughs> so,
0: Well, Josh, one of the reasons we wanted you on the, on the podcast today was um, you have a really good story. And I feel like you are a really genuine dude. And so, I, you know, I, today I just kind of wanted to talk. We just wanted to kind of hear from you on kind of what you've experienced and kind of just hear from you. And I feel like right now we're like... Talk about where you are now and like looking back and going that way but i kind of want to hear from you from the get-go um i feel like you have a really unique story to tell do you mind sharing it
2: i yeah where do we want to go because i feel like i tend to be kind of a drama queen um we love drama queens do you know me yes i do that's why we get along (laughs) so well i mean hello no but um so, yeah, a lot of crazy shit has happened, um, from, from a very young age, uh, to now. There's been a lot of, a lot of weird, crazy shit. Um, so I grew up in a Christian home, um, and, well, so my mom, my mom was a Christian. My dad said he was a Christian, um, but, you know, like we know now, most Christians didn't really live like one, uh. <laughs>
3: I don't know what you're talking about brother
2: I know andy's andy's in his own world over there, just like everything's perfect, but you know what guys guys good amen, brother amen no <laughs> so <laughs> having flashbacks they're like Vietnam flashbacks, but worse anyway, um yes, so uh my dad was somewhat abusive growing up um and i didn't realize it until i got older how much it affected like my personality um my like depression um anxieties all of that um he was physically abusive but mostly he was uh, psychologically abusive um so a lot of questioning myself you know am i ever going to do anything right um why do i always do the wrong thing um nothing was ever to his standard Um, It got to the point where, like, I couldn't walk in front of the TV without pissing him off. And he thought, like, I was purposefully walking in front of the TV just to piss him off. Not the fact that to get from my bedroom to outside, I had to go in front of the TV. So it was shit like that where I was, like, walking on eggshells constantly on a day-to-day basis. Um, Fast forward to 14 years old. um, My mom was about to leave my dad. And my dad did a 180 and said, "You know, I got to do things differently." Um my mom uh for about a year um stayed in the marriage because of her Christian duty as a wife, right? And I uh, I know we hear that a lot as like such a, you know, that's that's kind of a um it's getting it's gotten a bad rap because um, you know, women stay in like really abusive situations because they think it's their Christian duty as a wife. Right. Whereas like now I'm like, no, get the hell out of there. Right. If you're in a bad situation. But, um, in this specific situation, I feel like it was, um, something positive because my dad was no longer abusive. You could tell he was earnestly trying to like be a better person. Um, was he, he
4: like abusive because he was uh under the influence of something or was he just kind of a dickhead?
2: No, he was just he had a really bad temper. Um he had a lot of we're realizing now, like him going through therapy now, um he grew up with a lot of anxiety. So, you know, it's kind of that uh you kind of pass it down um where he
1: uh, hurt people hurt know. people.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um and it wasn't until he started realizing, like, digging down in his own emotions, like, what's fueling this anger and frustration, was he able to start kind of turning it around and not, um, you know, it, it was, he was very much like a, it was like a narcissist. Like, he very much had that mentality of, like, um, everything's about me, and you're doing this to hurt me, so, you know, I need to retaliate in this way, um, so... uh But, you know, at 14, there was a total change in him. And, like, now we're, like, uh, we can talk about almost anything. And, like, things totally turned around um, in my home life. Um, I didn't feel like I had to walk on eggshells anymore. However, it took me, being about 30, 31, to realize that a lot of my anxiety and stuff stemmed from... Um, those years of living in that trauma of walking on eggshells constantly, you know, always being in fight or flight mode. Um, so anyway, that's kind of where that, um, what I grew up in. However, the great thing about what happened there was because of my ability, like I had to start to read my dad very well. I had to look into his eyes. I had to always kind of just anticipate, you know, is he in a good mood? Is he in a bad mood? Okay. He's in a bad mood. So now I need to direct my behavior this way. Um, something I've been talking to my counselor about. One of the things she said is like, you know, like I, right now I work with adults with disabilities, uh, and a lot of time that are facing traumas, um, mental health traumas, things like that, where they're in crisis and they need, you know, some intervention that can really kind of break through, um, to get to them. And I've, learned that i'm very good at that and the reason i'm very good at that is because of all those years i've spent doing that with my dad i'm able to now like it's become a skill set of mine where i can really assess a situation i know most of the time exactly what to do to de-escalate a person um so It's really been able to take all that negative and turn it into something positive and say, okay, like, yeah, that sucked. I never want to go through something like that again, but because I did, I now have the ability to do this and that's pretty fucking cool. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: I find that very, not your experience, but this idea of taking what you've been through and transforming that to to using it for good specifically Mm -hmm. i see it a lot in the mental health professional oh yeah in the mental health profession like most of the people i know who are uh, licensed clinicians have been through these types of experiences and it's those types of experiences that make them the clinicians that they are yeah you know and it's awesome that having gone through so much you're able to take that and use it for for good i think that's phenomenal i mean i think that's awesome
2: yeah it's it's one of those things where it's like i wish i wish it could be taken away but Mm -hmm. because i know it can't be you know i'm gonna use it i mean that that's the thing you got a choice um and and i I don't want to get on here being all like like it's what you choose life is how you choose it because i i definitely will tell you i've been down in that hole where it's like i felt like i had no choice i had no option um and, and it's kind of like I was talking to Seth a little bit today. Like, I've been in a hole of depression for probably a m- month or two now, where I didn't know where it was coming from. I d- had no desire to talk to people. Um, I had really just no um, no drive to do anything. And um, and just to just today or just the last few days, I've actually like started kind of waking up from that. And uh, I was telling Seth, you don't know how depressed you are until you're not depressed anymore. Then you're like, holy shit, how could I have been, like, totally, like, zoning out of everything? Um, But, yeah, so it's not like life is perfect for me now, now that I've found, you know, this piece of the puzzle. Um, But it definitely has helped, like, to give me a sense of purpose in, like, okay, you know, that happened for a reason. Like, uh, I'm not... particularly the type of person that's like you know like god has a reason for everything like i think there's chaos and i think that shit just happens but you can find meaning out of it it's kind of how i i take the things
1: yeah that's completely perspective you know like it's that yeah the only thing you can really control sometimes is your attitude and how you respond to something i heard something said once i think it's a quote you know it's not what happens to you in life that makes you who you are but how you respond to what happens to you in life that makes you who you are and so you can take two of the exact same people put them through the exact same situations and one person may come out you know a winner like rise to the top and the other person will allow the same situations to drag them down and so it, it really is like right. that perspective thing so that's that's pretty awesome man. thanks for sharing you said you said there, there's more there I mean
2: um yeah I mean there's, there's so much uh so much places I could go um Definitely the death of my daughter was a huge.
0: um, How old were you when that happened? And how many kids was, how many other kids did you have?
2: So we just had Isaiah at that time. So she was our second. I think I was, let's see, we were, I think I was 22 or 23. Wow.
0: Wow. Yeah. I can't, I can't even imagine. It's crazy.
2: That was way too young to like trying to figure some of this shit out. Um, so yeah, it was, um, and, and, you know, it's one of those things where like, I always get nervous bringing this part up, especially to friends and stuff like, or people that are, I'm like just starting to talk to and not because like, I, I have no problem talking about it. It's just like, I can sense other people's uncomfortability the moment, like you bring it up. It's like all of a sudden, like, Oh shit. Um, and then, if I'm with vulgar friends, it's like, oh man, I hope I didn't tell a dead baby joke. That's mm-hmm. the biggest one. <laughs> now, would yeah. would that upset you if they had? You know, I know it would upset a lot of people, mm-hmm. but I can't say that I've never said one of those jokes. Right, right. It triggers, it triggers the shit out of me now. Like, mm-hmm. I, I still have the understanding of like, okay, I was that guy. Like, I get it, but... And there's always this balance, like in comedy, there's always a balance between, um, you know, like anything goes for comedy. I feel like Um, part of it is like gauging the room, know your audience, that type of thing. But another part of it is like I, I struggle in between like, you know, you can say what you want and it's up for me to take a little bit of the responsibility of understanding that you're not understanding where I'm coming from. But I think it also goes the other way around, too. So I don't know how much of that balance really needs to be played out. Because, like, I don't want to sit there and be the party pooper and be like, oh, none of those jokes. Oh, nope, nope, none of those jokes, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, I know how it makes me feel. And, like, I'm suddenly very aware of other people in the room who might have experienced the same thing I have who are now probably feeling the way I feel. So, like, I'm very aware of other people in the room, too. So I have to, like... Like, if it was just me and another person, I'd be totally fine. But if it was me, another person, and then, like, some other people who I don't know may have dealt with something like that, then I'm, like, I get more defensive. So it's strange. It's
1: not easy. Question. No, that's good. I actually got really excited when you started explaining that because that's actually a soapbox of mine that I've been waiting to, like... I don't know if this is the right time, but, you know, it's just, like almost like the pc conversation you know what i mean like mm-hmm. what is okay to say like you said that, that balance between like you know comedy you know and just being right. being honest you know about a situation you know and then but then also being recognizing okay well this word or if i say this this is going to be found offensive to this group of people so like you know like there's the tact and the like you know the respect like you said and just sometimes it's just um an education that needs to happen. Sometimes it's just right. an, an ignorance. people will say things without really realizing that they like, that they are hurt, like the damage that could be done. You know, yeah. And
3: just, in, in comedy, if it's done right, it's revealing truth in a funny way in a, yeah. in a very, it's in a very thought provoking, like, whoa, I had never thought like, you're going to maybe not laugh, but like walk away from that show thinking I had never thought about that issue like that. Mm. That's interesting.
1: And if we say we can't talk about certain subjects then it then it makes it like well how can we have the conversation now if all of a sudden this is off limits right. and this is off limits then how do we talk to each other anymore so
2: the funny thing about humor <laughs> yeah, sorry <laughs> oh uh, the, th- the thing about humor is that like so you know we didn't have for years we didn't have the platform like we do now, like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that shit. That's just like, it goes like out, like broadcasts out to the world. Basically. I mean, like most of your, you know, we're not cool enough that everyone around the world is seeing what we're writing, but you get what I'm saying. Like it's broadcast to everyone to a wide range of audience. Um, depending on, you know, who is in your friends list, it will depend on like what type of audience that you're entertaining. Um, And it is entertainment. I mean, that's really all I see Facebook as. Um, But the thing of it is, is like, you know, used to be like for comedy, especially, you'd go into a comedy club, you pay your money, you'd watch a guy. If you didn't like his set, if you thought it was raunchy, you wasted five, 10, 15 bucks, however much you spent. Right. You leave. um, And then and then it's over. And you're like, yeah, I'll never see that guy again or I'll never see that person again. But like Facebook has created this thing where it's just like you're almost like that comedian, but everybody in your friend's group or who your friend's friend's group is in the audience and they suddenly have an expectation of you on how you should, um, present yourself. Like you see it all the time where it's just like, it's so silly. Like even on my own Facebook, um, like I have people saying, Oh, you shouldn't say this. And I'm just sitting there going like, no, this is my Facebook. Like, It's that difference between, like, this is my personal page, I can say whatever the hell I want, and, you know, if you don't like it, then quit following me, do whatever, unfriend me, I don't care, block me. Um, But I, I think it's like humor in that sense is kind of like taking a nosedive because of it.
1: Well, I I would agree with the fact that like, I mean, I feel like humor has been under attack for sure. I think that's something that Andy was, um, you know, pushing back against too. It's like, and that's where... Um, as fade de gray. I mean, as this round table, I've often wanted to have this conversation because I know that w- there's so many different opinions that we have about like, like what's okay to say. Like, I know that like certain words would tr- trigger me, certain words would trigger Ethan, certain things will trigger like, I mean, I've, and, and it's like, once we have a relationship with people and start to like know that then I'm like, okay, well I uh, like I can say anything I want, but mm-hmm. out of respect to like the people around me, I'm going to censor myself, um, like because of relationship, because it's like, I don't, I don't want to trigger them to put them someplace, you know, back 20 years ago, you know, like when, when something happened that had nothing to do with where we're at right now, you know what I mean? So, and
2: that's, I think that's where I was going with it is like, you know, back to the comedy club thing. Like if I walked into a comedy club and a guy tells a dead baby joke, like I can leave and be like, wow, that sucks. I'm never going to, but like, I really shouldn't be walking up to the guy and educating him on how he shouldn't use that joke because here's why. Now you know someone who, you know, has lost a baby. So screw you, you know, Um, how, but I can go to a friend and be like, hey, man, you know, like, I know you didn't mean anything by it. I know you didn't really probably think about it, but. Here, I've suffered this loss. And, and my friend would probably be like, in turn, go, okay, yeah, you're right. That's, yeah, totally unacceptable, what have you, as a friend. And I think that's like what we've done with Facebook is like we expect everybody to treat us as a friend when it's like it's a public forum. And that's really all it comes down to. like. But it's your friends list. We... What do you
1: mean? Those are all, 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 <laughs> all 2,000 of those people are, are my intimate friends. And exactly. and we care about each other. like. Deeply, I got your back.
0: <laughs> what I hear you saying from your story was that, like, uh, because we need to be so correct to not be offensive, we have mm-hmm. numbed our comedy because we don't want to. Yeah, because someone
3: someone's else. always going to find something offensive. Like you're you. If I understand, there's there's a give culturally, but if you start bending to, start literally taking a knee almost to every request that a comedian has after a show, Hey, hey you, you to- can't
1: take a knee. You can't take a knee, man. Come don't on. you fucking take a knee for that flag. <laughs> show some respect for a flag. Come on. <laughs>
3: okay. If, if, yeah, there you go. Let's use a different analogy or something. But like you, you, you can't take every single request after a show as a comedian and say, you know what? You're right. Done. I, I will never say that again. Or I'll never tell that joke or I'll never, you know, use that punchline. It,
4: it, I don't, there'd be no jokes to tell.
3: Yeah. It, it doesn't it just doesn't make sense to me like the there 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 has to be a gray area fade to gray area hey hey where you can go and just play in that gray area and and you have to understand that that person on that stage is not trying to be malicious they're not trying to be rude to you uh person xyz who experienced this one thing you know what whatever issue it may be but it just i i, I don't know where that ends I,
1: I heard it explained before like um yeah it's only okay to punch up to punch up right so like if you're willing to be vulnerable and show you know your, yourself not like so it's never okay to punch down you know so you don't make fun mm-hmm. of like the like unf- uh, like misfortunate or minorities or th- different things like that, You know, unless you are a minority, you know, but it's not, but it's so it is okay to punch up to those who are in power and different things. I, I've heard explained that way before of like, what is like tactful and what is not. Uh, w- would you agree with that Andy? Or what would you think?
3: Uh, I, I, I wouldn't agree with that. No.
1: You think everybody should be? Fair I, again? I wouldn't
4: because I would. I would. That's because you don't want nobody punching up at Trump. That's why.
2: <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? That's speaking that's all which,
3: anybody does right now, and that's speaking that's of which. Easy.
2: Here's what. Here's what I. I was on a train of thought with that, as um as Omar was explaining that. Who would make an amazing comedian? Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> think about he it, is, though. Think about he it. is like, a comedian. Like. Like, the people that voted for Donald Trump said they voted for him because he says what people are thinking, right? That's exactly why people like raunchy comedians is because they say what people are thinking. Like, he would be freaking hilarious if you thought about him doing stand-up. It would be probably, I would go to that show every night.
3: He should take a few lessons from Jim Norton and like, send him on his merry way.
1: You just gotta follow yes. him on Twitter, so you gotta do. Then you're pretty much like a stand up. Like, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but Andy, I, I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on, I mean, were you saying everybody's fair game? Because, I mean, I, I would agree to a, to a level because, I mean, if you're gonna offend somebody, if your audience is broad enough, you know, anything you say is gonna be offensive to somebody. You know even if you're not trying to be offensive and so like if you're always like walking on eggshells and how are you ever gonna truly express yourself and 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 what's wrong with saying the wrong thing like, who's, why do we have to be perfect that's the thing is like why are we defined by the one wrong thing that we might say in life or the one wrong thing that we might do it's like if why can't we just talk and if like oh okay I was wrong there I can correct that but I'm gonna keep talking and keep moving forward you know like is that so, I don't know maybe I was asking you a question but then I just jumped on my soapbox sorry about that sure well <laughs> let, let me
3: let me propose a question to you how do you feel about a, a Jew telling a joke about the Holocaust and I mean a real good Holocaust joke
1: well that's what I'm, I'm saying that would be that would be one of those things where it's like not punching down you know Like, but what would, so what
3: What if I told a Holocaust joke
4: so Omar's agreeing that there are good Holocaust <laughs> jokes
1: oh <my> <laughs> Let's that's make a, this clear. That's what you got me on saying. Well, I don't know. Maybe. Um,
4: so,
3: but it's, if if we can only joke about what we've experienced, because what I was getting to is that I'm not a Jew, but I think it's okay for me to, to tell a Holocaust joke. I don't think we should only be limited to joke about our experience, because we may not have experienced everything in the world. Of course, we haven't, but there's still a way to approach issues, and 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 make jokes about them in a in a I wouldn't say tasteful because it's not a taste you can never have a tasteful holocaust joke you can have a well-crafted joke with a setup punch line and all that sort of stuff but I just don't again I don't think that we can only joke about our experiences I, I think uh pretty much punching sideways punching up down uh, diagonally is, is all right with me.
4: Yeah, but that's exactly what this cultural climate's all about right now, which is, you know, oh, you know, you're a white male. You don't have this experience. Therefore, you don't have a voice in this in this matter. Just shut up and, and stay over there. Right. So that's the mentality that we have right now.
3: Cool, then and, they can come see me when I'm helping my neighbor with his uh, sprinkler system on Saturday morning who happens to be from Mexico. You know what I mean? It's like, dude, it, Like, just because we joke about stuff doesn't mean like,
4: yeah, I really feel that way. You know
3: what I mean? It's, it's so weird that, the, that we can't say anything.
4: Like, I 100% agree with you. I'm just saying. That's that's the way it yeah. is now. And it's 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 dangerous business because people could lose their jobs. Um, you know, and it, people say, oh, well, there is no freedom of speech um, no, you have a freedom of speech. It's freedom from consequences you don't have, right? So I don't know. It's just such a weird climate. But
1: going back to the whole Facebook and social media thing with this, it's really ruined it for people. Because it's, there are actual assholes out there who, who don't care and who are just trying to get a reaction out of people and are trying to like get a negative reaction. And are going you know, like trolls or – I mean – I'm a troll, but I don't troll like negatively. I troll for a laugh or try to just get people like, but like, it's not like a, you know, like, but there's, so like, that's, there has to be a balance. So we can't just say like, well, all jokes are good and it's okay just to make fun of everybody for anything. Like maybe, but like, what about like that? The asshole that's really just trying to like, just piss you off or get underneath your skin or trying to get that reaction. Just be like, ha ha, I got you. You see, you know, like you're not under control. Like that's not okay. That's not cool. Like we don't want to create that type of a culture. So, um, so what is the balance? What is, what is the gray area there?
3: Well, I think, I think it's a mix between being mature because it sounds like whoever you're describing is very immature. If that's a 30 year old man, who's literally doing everything in his life to get a rise, that's called immaturity. But I think if you have a balance of maturity and also, a comedic sense and comedic timing cuz all again it is about tone, timing and setup and punchline. If there's not that then yeah, we should probably have a talk because it sounds like you that might be how you feel about a certain subject or someone. So if it's done especially if it's done in a in a you know a green room or on stage, I I think it's a comedian attempting humor. And it's honest, there's honesty in that. There's art to it. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. L- look at look at Lenny Bruce. Right. Sorry to keep going, but look at Lenny Bruce. I mean, he got arrested. He got arrested. It's it's just wild. Could you imagine that now? Well, actually, yeah, I kind of could. But um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know how we got off on this, but hey, this is <laughs> this is fun.
1: Sorry about that, Josh. And uh, love you, appreciate you, but like you definitely like triggered me with when you started talking about like the whole comedy, and PC <laughs> thing, and it's something that I've been like burning to like. Jump out there! He was so.
3: feeling the Holy Spirit on it.
1: <laughs> so no dead baby jokes, and yeah. and you apparently are very fertile. Um, well, were yep. into, not anymore. Into, yeah, not anymore. were yeah past tense.
2: After the large testicle of 2013, <laughs> no more. The, the, That's almost
3: like the summer of George from Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> Huge balls, awesome.
1: Was there more to that? <laughs> no, I, no. I'm bringing you. I'm bringing you back on track, back to where you. So uh, right, right. we derailed you back there. So continue on with with your yes. story. Um, it's
2: 2013. So yeah, I, I mean, you had a big ball. So all of that, you know, coming into effect. Um, losing our daughter alone was like enough for me to be like, all right, I should be like free of all other trials or issues right like that was like my mentality is like i've i've been through the shit i've done my share everybody else go fuck yourselves no (laughs) no i kept a really good um um like mentality for a very long time um and and one of the things that i remember saying to my wife in the hospital was i looked her in the eyes and i and i don't even know why like I didn't know anything about anything at that time, especially when it had to do with like trauma and marriages, post-trauma. I knew nothing of that, but for whatever reason it was instilled upon me to say to her, we're not getting divorced over this. And that still sits with me today. Like that is one of those things where I'm just like, why the hell did I say that? And Holy crap. Did that like set a precedence? For everything that happened beyond that um and and like
1: at least provided some stability years, for her, you know you know like know that like she yeah not have to go this alone the insecurity yet yeah it's
2: insecurity. it's it was one of those i i just felt the need to just share with her like we're in this together you're not doing this alone um and there was a lot that we learned through that and we had amazing people in our lives uh my parents her mom um you know, just friends that we met through, like said, support groups, things like that. Um, but but one of the things we learned, especially about grief, is when you're grieving something of the same with a completely different person, you both are going to grie- grieve it in completely different ways. And when you are married to that person, you have to learn how to love the new person that that person has become because of that grief. Um, not only that you have to learn to love the person that you've become because of that grief. So you're dealing with two sets of grief stricken people, yourself and your spouse that you're having to learn how to love them and, and figure out who they are now. Um, Believe it or not, I used to laugh and joke a lot more than I do now. (laughs) That I was always on, always like going, going crazy. Um, Now it's a little different, but I've learned to love who I am now. Um, And it's become kind of an everyday thing. And we grieve differently. That's the other big thing was, you know, I'm a more of an extrovert. So I wanted to get out and hang out with the family that was out in the living room. My wife wanted to stay in the bedroom 24 7 she didn't want anybody coming in but she didn't want me to leave her so that created like this problem of like i'm trying to do one thing she's trying to do another was
1: that would you say that your faith was where was that like in priority to keeping you um like going keeping you stable you know you said that like when that happened and you had that unction. You didn't know where it came from to like, tell her that, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to leave you. We're not going to get divorced. I guess just describe what that was like, like, you know, your relationship with God prior to losing a, a child and then after. And, like, has it made it stronger? Has it made it weaker? Like, um, what is that?
2: Yeah. So I was very strong in my faith. Um when we lost sarah um at that point i felt like i didn't have a choice in like there was never really a point where i got angry with god um that came much later um but at at the time frame it was like and and I, i even at that time i still didn't believe that like god made it so that my baby died right like, that just didn't make absolutely any
1: sense Did to me. Did you blame the devil then, obviously, because it was... No, that... no,
2: no, no, <laughs> no. No, <laughs> I blame the... like, And I still kind of fall on this. That's that's a pun. I, I fall on this part, but I blame the fall. Like, um, you know, I, I, I believe there was chaos. Um, there always has been chaos. There's ne- Like, there doesn't have to be a reason for every single thing to happen um, for God's will to be done is kind of where I take things. Um you know he he can create sense out of nonsense I suppose would be like the best way I can um describe it but but for me at that time um I think my my relationship was the closest that I've ever had with God um at that moment um I felt like I was being held up um crazy story 3 days before she passed away um, I had been going through some internet courses for um counseling and and pastoralship. Um, and one of the things we were talking about was like uh, uh sermon writing. And so I decided to write a sermon based on um oh, I can't remember. I think it's 2 Corinthians where it says, uh, for I know what it means to have plenty and I know what it means to be in need. Um and in all things I will praise the Lord. Um all things I will be content. And and that verse hit me, like, this is still three days before we lost Sarah. That verse really hit me, and I decided I'm going to write a sermon on that. Um, so I wrote out the sermon, kind of did my base points on everything I needed to do. And then I titled it, Contentment and the Coming Storm. And, so you
3: were a pastor?
2: Well, I was studying to be a pastor. Oh, okay. Sorry, never that. Ne- Never got to that point, but...
1: Um, okay. Did you I get to youth like, pastor status?
2: <laughs> I did get to youth pastor status, not not on college, like it wasn't collegiate, but it was uh, the uh, layman's youth pastor, I guess you would say. But yes, that's you didn't get paid for it. Uh, no, I did. Oh. I, I got it was part time, um, and um, that's that's the position that made me decide that I never want to do ministry again. So um, <laughs> that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, like throughout the years, um, I think like my faith right now is stronger, but in a different way than it was. Like, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, if you would give me like an example of how I'm living my life now and were to say, how strong do you think you are in your faith 10 years from now? Um, I would say, oh, he's totally backslidden. He's gone by the wayside, he, you know, using all my good Christianese terminology. Um, but my understanding... like, are drinking I a, a beer where, in the where, closet where realized, with a bunch of heathens
1: right now, so yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> my understanding Amen. then, like, I didn't... I've, I learned, and I grew up um, in a very conservative, um, like, fundamentalist-type church. So just to give you some understanding, we thought we knew everything. Uh, you know, we all the best apologetics comes from the evangelical church, as you know. So um, now that I'm here, of I feel like my relationship with God is so next level to where it could have ever been like the highest point I could have felt in a relationship to God in the fundamentalist culture is like nowhere near where I feel like my relationship is now. And that is because. I've learned to embrace, um, I think C.S. Lewis said something to the effect of, um, learning to love the dark places of the Lord is where you find um, true joy. And, and and that's not to say, like, you know, God has some, like, dark, sinister scheme, but the fact of, like, he, there's mys- mystery to it. So, like, following somewhat of, like, what the mystics believe of, like, there's some mystery to God that we'll just never know. And accepting and loving that part of him is like a closer relationship to him. So that's kind of where I feel like I'm wading the waters of at this point.
1: Okay, because with your story uh, with your father and dealing with anxiety, um, you, know, you would think that like going through – um, you know, loss of a child. You know, and and that would obviously trigger a lot of different like emotions, a lot of different questions that you know, like you never get answered, right. probably. And and like you know, obviously with anybody who's dealt with anxiety, you know, unanswered questions are the worst. And so, right, uh, the having that relationship with God. Would you say that was would been the top thing that kept you from spiraling into? Um, th- like all these unanswered questions. Cause a lot of people, I mean, that's, that's what we go back to. You no, know, it's not what happens to you, but how you respond to it type of conversation, because I could see very easily your initial reaction to being angry at God. You know, you know, there's no, this makes no sense, you know, you know, a bunch of different stuff. And then, yeah, I
2: still having my faith. Um, but kind of like being able to see things from a perspective of like, you know what if there is no God, um, like that's a question that I used to always be afraid to ask because it was like that's such a taboo um, uh, question. But but one of the things I'm learning is like if there is a God, He's powerful enough to be able to handle that question, right? Like He's not like all of a sudden I ask the question and then He's like, oh, you've ta- zapped me of my energy now I can't <laughs> fight. I cannot save Satan you anymore. His I'm sorry. Oh, um, but, but that's part of it. Like is that God is so much bigger than what I ever thought he could be is something very profound to me. And and the the reason I say that is this, um, you find
1: comfort in that pretty much.
2: I do. But, but the biggest thing about it is like, I, I, when, when people say like, oh, you just need to trust in God. Like if you have a situation that goes bad, like, you know, oh, I, I, need, I don't get paid until Friday but I need to pay this $300 bill and this is like a common thing my mom says is like oh you just need to trust God God will take care of you just trust God right my fucking trust in God is so next level right now like think about the fact like I trusted God with my daughter I trusted God that she would be here today I trusted God that um, when we found her that um, not breathing, that he could bring her back if he wanted to. I trusted God all the way to the hospital. I trusted God in the waiting room, praying, calling all my friends, telling them to pray, um, that, that God could do uh, anything he wanted to do. And he chose not to. And so, like, I still hung in there with God, even after that. I still said, you know, God, you are on the throne, you know, for whatever reason— this didn't happen. I'm, I'm not going to question it. I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to keep on doing what I feel like you want me to do. So for someone to come to me and say, Oh, you just need to trust in God. I kind of want to be like, fuck you. Right. You know, <laughs> like you don't, you don't understand what you're, what you're saying. Like my trust is next level. I know that God could do whatever the hell he wants to do. But I also know there's a very likely chance that he won't. Mm. And that's like, so, so like my trust in God isn't, doesn't have anything to do with like whether or not a circumstance is going to turn out one way or the other. It all comes down to like, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And and I think like, um, like what you said, Omar, how you respond to it is everything about whether or not you're able to overcome um, whatever it is that you, you need to overcome. Because I'll tell you, I've overcome so much. I mean, you know, we've talked about a little bit of it today. Like, you know, my dad um, losing a daughter, um, being sexually assaulted when I was twelve or thirteen years old. Didn't talk. We didn't talk about uh, that one. I know we didn't talk about that. Which I mean, if we want, if you want, we can make this a two thing, or I can come back another time. We can talk about it. I'm up for anything.
1: Oh, how much time have you got left, buddy? Because uh, we I, we got about another. F- 50 minutes if we want to keep going man I'd love to like uh, hear about that Um, I know that we could have we could stop here and have an altar call for Chris see if he wants to give us you know
4: no I was actually going to ask Josh like because he was talking about God could do what he wanted to do and it's like for me I don't know man like your faith must be next level because for me to think like if God could do that, if God could decide yeah. to stop a death, especially the death of a child, you know, why would he not choose to do that? And so, man, I just, I admire your faith for sure. And I know that your faith helps you get through a lot of things. And I think that's wonderful <laughs> that, that you have that. Um, yeah. But God, yeah, I hear you. And like, why?
2: Why would a God let to, anything to, like that happen, you know? So I, I think like my biggest thing is I like to think about things like all the way around. Like I don't get stuck on one part and just say, okay, this is the way it is. I used to be that way and I hated it. Um, so I, I I was saying a little bit like, you know, I'm okay with the consideration that there is no God, right? I don't feel like I've lost anything if, if there is no God, um, all in all, I feel like I, you know, I live my life the way I feel like I, I should. Um, I think I do things that I enjoy. Um, I think, like, we try to find so much meaning in everything that we forget that sometimes moments are meant to just be meaningless, and that's okay. Um, and... and that that that's on a whole other different thing, but like as far as okay, so here's where where I'm at in my faith walk when it comes to like life and death and the afterlife. Um, I would say if this life and this death is all there is, yeah, there there are moments where I'm like well, fuck, like what was the point of that three months of living and that's it. And that's all we got. Yes. There's definitely this huge part of me that's like excited because I I know I'm going to see her again. Right. So there is that, like, there's that piece that comes with that. Um, I'm not naive enough to think that that may not be real. That may not be possible. I've shoved that in people's faces before, who were atheists. When I, when they told me that heaven isn't real, um, that was a not a very <laughs> not a very good time in my life, because um, I was hurting and I was using it as a tool to like combat, you know, and and it was it was weaponizing something um, for the sake of the gospel. It's not necessarily like God. I'm going to do my thing and you do yours. But it's similar to that. Like, I'm not as... So I used to be the type of person that I would not do a single thing until I prayed over it. Until I gave it time and consideration. The problem was I never got an answer. Like, I was never to the point where I was like, sure, that this was what I was going to do. And if you want to go back into, like, my youth pastor days. When I was deciding whether or not I was going to be a youth pastor. When the church asked me to join their team. I prayed over it and I constantly was like, God, you know, and I even like, you know, as they say, um, put out the wool of, of faith where you like test God and say like, okay, you know, like where they said, I can't remember who it was. It was one of the prophets where he said, he threw out the wool and said, God, if the, uh, if the wool is dry and the grass is wet, um, then we, I will know that this is your answer. Right. Um, so that's, we, we would, do certain things. Like we would ask God, like God, if we, during the interview, he taps his foot this way, then we'll know. Like, but it was always something that was like very possible could happen during the interview. Cause we really, I really wanted the job. That was really what it came down to. Um, but we thought we prayed so much over it and, and we felt such comfort and peace. Um, and it ended up being the worst fucking experience of my life. The word, like as far as job experience and, um, in my faith, even, um, the pastor was an asshole, um, turned out to be so manipulative, um, really brought up in me the same feelings that my father used to make me feel, um, and brought, it brought back a lot of the insecurities that I thought I'd it away. Um, my wife had never seen me vulnerable and feeling like a little kid, um, and so she was starting to see that in me and that's really where my anxiety and all of that started dwelling up was from all that and i nearly came to the point where i was like fuck it like i have never come to quite to the point where I-, I could say there is no god but i definitely have come to the point where like there may be a god but you go your fucking way i'm gonna go my way um I never could quite get to that point. I finally just got to the point where I was just like, okay, God, I'm realizing there's just some shit that I got to figure out. And I've got to just put down my, my foot and say, this is what I'm doing. I can't keep waiting on you to tell me, give me a direction because all I'm doing is just sitting and doing nothing. I got to do something. And, And as I began to move, that's when I started feeling like more of those, that positive energy of like, okay, this is what I need to do, you know? And I I took that experience of the church as something I needed to do to learn that. Like, it wasn't necessarily like, oh God, you failed me. Like I trusted you and you failed me. It was more of just like some things just happen. And, And like Omar said, once again, it's what you do with what, happens to you that determines how the outcome is going to be. And it's taken me years of counseling, (laughs) um, medication, um, sometimes alcohol, um, not to an abusive state, but sometimes I've definitely use alcohol as a tool to like chill myself out. Um, talking to my wife, talking to my parents, um, But to finally get to the point where I've realized that sometimes things just happen. There's no reason. There's no rhyme. They just happen. And you have to just say there's still purpose.
4: Do you believe that God intercedes, though, when people pray about certain things?
2: I'm at the point now where I don't. I don't.
4: So would you say maybe you're more of a deist at this point?
2: Yeah, I would say that's probably a fair assessment. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a big Jesus guy, and I know that's like that's almost become the cliche but thing. But you're kind of like days. friends with
3: benefits, like with you don't Jesus? want to fully totally yeah. commit, you know. But it's like hey, right. if, you know, hey, if you're there, hey. yeah, I'll give him a handy.
2: What? <laughs>
4: <laughs> Man, so you went from being someone who probably thought that you know, God would interfere, um, right. You know, at the drop of a hat. You read in the Bible where God does do that. And then, you know, with your own personal experiences, it's probably led you to more of a, God does his thing. You do your thing. God's a deist. You, do you still want to worship a God like that though? Like what, what's the, what's the, I guess, what's the draw? Like what, why, why would you want to worship a God like that?
2: Because I think there's a bigger picture that we as humans, even the most intelligent humans can't comprehend. And I think it has something to do with Jesus. And I think that that is, um, the mystery that we're missing. The puzzle, the puzzle piece that we just keep like our brains, you know, if like, I get how ridiculous this sounds sometimes, but at the same time, the most ridiculous thing, if it's true, isn't ridiculous at all, right? Um, it's kind of like that Occam's razor uh, type experience. Like, um, I, I think, like, if there is a God, um, if He is all knowing, all powerful, if He has all these attributes about Him that like is beyond the scope of our understanding, then there is going to definitely like the we're going to only understand not even the tip of the iceberg of a God like that. And I think like, as we develop as human beings and as we learn more and more, we see the past us as archaic in our understanding of, of religion and spirituality and even life. I mean, in general. Um, and then as life goes on, I think like the closer we get to the answer, but the less we understand certain aspects of it because of tradition, we have to let go of certain things um that we're not willing to let go of and i think that leaves us in this like melting pot of like just feeling like we, we are on the cusp of something but there's we don't know what to let go of and what to keep you know what i'm saying like and that's where i'm at right now is like i know they're like i keep a very open hand on a lot of like my thoughts on faith and religion Um, So I'm definitely not a fundamentalist anymore. (laughs) They're close fist on like, these are, I'm keeping my fucking tulips. They're right here. (laughs) Um, But for me, it's like I keep almost everything open-handed. There's some things I keep closer to my hand. There's some things that I can let kind of float out there. Jesus is one of those things that I've not been able to, like, even if he doesn't exist or never existed as a human being, The mission and the mindset and the the thought that we put into creating a character that had so much compassion, so much love, so much selflessness—that's a yearning that we have. That's something that we desire. Um, Everybody has wants something of like that, you know. I'm a very selfish person, but I wish I wasn't, you know, like it would be amazing if I could be so selfless. And then when somebody said you're selfless, I wouldn't be so full of pride to be like, hell yeah, I'm selfless. Son of a bitch. I'm awesome. (laughs) But that's like, you know, look at me. I, I think there's like, yeah, exactly. There's purpose though in that. Like even if it was, even if the story of Jesus was made up, it's something that we desire so much so that we created something to, you know, try to bring us to that. That's kind of where he's like
3: the ultimate, like good archetype, just like the, right. the guy that everyone wants to be or like that, exactly. that type of person in, in life, you know, loving, compassionate, um, uh, you know,
1: whatever. Yeah. I don't think you guys are convincing Chris at all though.
2: No, I don't <laughs> He's got a skeptical spectacles on. I mean,
0: honestly, (laughs) I really feel, Josh, that with your words of wisdom, you know, if you were just, you know, pray, (laughs) (laughs) you know, in your free time.
2: I think I have enough prayer coins saved up. I might be able to pull it off.
4: What level are you at, though? But he doesn't believe that God intercedes. Yeah, I think you can. He doesn't believe that God intercedes, so it's not going to do any good to pray.
2: Yeah, that's true. (laughs) <laughs> checkmate atheist,
0: checkmate open open hand Chris <laughs> open hand
1: things oh, change speaking As of open vary. hand so <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> well that's a hell of a segue this is gonna be the worst transition ever I can't
1: wait I, I know right I, it's like um, t- t- tell us Tell us, Josh, on the on the on the Homer where the bad man touched. No, (laughs) (laughs) no, oh no!
3: no. I'm intervening. Can I just?
1: I'm intervening right now. Yeah, paint the picture,
4: Chris. Paint the picture. So Omar, Omar has a a stuffed Homer Simpson doll that it it looks like it may be a puppet that you get your hand into. I'm not sure. Yeah, and Homer Simpson is in his underwear, and Omar just asked Josh to show him on the Homer Simpson doll where the the bad man touched him. Wow!
0: (laughs) I sure hope that this is cut from the podcast and a formal apology. (laughs) Well, how how about this? We.
3: We asked for consent Josh from Josh. Josh, shall we cut this?
0: <laughs> first, first, like you know, uh,
1: postage. All right. So, Josh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. my question still, yeah. my question still stands. Like, uh, so, straight. how old were you when when this happened?
2: When I when I was molested. First of all, yes.
1: First of all, uh, um, by Homer Simpson. What? Yes, by, by Homer Simpson. First of all, how much time do you have intro? left? Or do you? I know you oh, have. I, five, I know you have five kids. So I don't want to respect your time.
2: Yeah. yeah, but
1: but since we have you on, um, let's we'll go ahead and keep going for a little bit longer. If, if that's sure. okay with you, okay.
2: I was. It's kind of a blurry. Time. So like time was kind of because everything was really fucked up at that point. Uh, you know, my dad was being an asshole. Um, my mom and dad's relationship wasn't going well. We were pretty poor at that time and that was kind of getting to the point where I was understanding that. Um, I think I was 10 or 11 years old. Um, So basically, a neighbor across the street um, was uh, one of my first friends at that house that we lived at. I moved there when I was like six, I want to say. And uh, we'd been friends all that time. Um, He grew up in an interesting kind of household where um, his dad was a firefighter. Um, I don't remember what his mom did, but his mom died um, probably three or four years after we met. So just before this time, um, she passed away. My dad was a firefighter and basically his dad was my dad's boss is how that went down. And, um, so we got to the point where, um, I saw my first hustler magazine. That was the, my, my introduction to introduction to pornography was hustler. Um, so I didn't fuck around with playboy. I just went straight for the snatch.
1: Yeah. <laughs> full frontal just spreading.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 And that was all that was um, during the
1: hairy days too
2: and yes and i was probably eight or nine um when i saw my first naked woman and that messed with me in ways that like i can't even describe like um and mainly in the fact of like i had perpetual blue balls um until the day i learned how to masturbate so so we're getting to the point where i'm 11 years old and um you know, things in our friendship were obviously very sexual in nature as far as, like, looking at porn together. Um, it kind of got to the point where it was like, um, you know, we we were messing around a little bit more of, like, just exploring and, and trying to figure out, like, you know, like, I my biggest desire was I wanted to feel what a woman would feel like, right? So that's, um, you know, there was there was times when we would fake, like one of us would be the girl. One of us would be the guy. And, you know, we'd mess with each other's wieners. Um, you know, stuff that like, I realize now a lot of kids have been through that and experienced that. But at that time, I thought this was this deep, dark thing that like me and him had this like sex cult thing going. And if anybody found out it was going to be like, um, the worst thing ever. So I kept it very secret. And, um, one day his older brother who was I think 16 at the time came in and he caught us messing around and, uh, we were freaking out. Like I thought, Oh my gosh, my dad's going to find out this is, you know, um, go figure at the time I was thinking he's going to think I'm gay. Like this is going to be horrible. Right. Um, and so the, the, uh, brother says to, to us, he says, uh, I won't tell if you let me join, hmm. and and my first initial thought was like, oh, this is crazy, like, like he he's into this shit too, like this is just too weird. And then my second thought was like, this guy's like, can you just quickly
4: clarify, like, what when you talk about like messing around with right. your with the boy that was the same age as you? Are we talking about like you guys are physically? like um, stimulating each other or are we just talking about like you're watching porn together?
2: No we were yeah definitely physically stimulating like um, uh, as far the furthest it went I would say it's dry humping would be like the best way you could describe it um, and it was like always the mentality of like you know I'll pretend to be the girl so you can know what a girl feels like and then you pretend and you know we swap back and forth and um so so the brother comes, and and says, you know, if I won't tell if you let me join, and and I didn't know what that meant. Like, is he gonna like? Or you know, like these were our rules. You know, like now you're coming in, you're the older one. Are you gonna come in with a new set of rules? Is this gonna be like okay? But like I didn't want to get told on, so I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Um, and the rules changed really quickly. Um, it started with. Um, he forced me to give him oral um, and he, he he kept doing it to where like it was manipulation where he's like I'll do it to you if you do it to me and then I would do it and he would say fuck no, I'm not touching you, that's disgusting and like, so there was that shame factor in there as well um, and then he said I'll give you anal if you give me anal or, you know, I'll let you go into me if I go into you, basically. Um, and I was like, no, no, I can't do that. Like, no. And he's like, well, you've already gone this far. You know, you've already, we've already done oral. I can tell your dad, like, what you did. And, like, my mindset, so back then was like, of course he's not, you know, now I'm thinking, like, of course he wasn't going to tell. Like, he'd have to tell on himself, like, yeah, hey, your, your son gave me a blowjob. Like, nobody would do that. So, but at the time I was like freaking out thinking like, you know, this is going to be the worst thing ever. So I, I agreed to it and I remember laying on the carpet, um, and I remember like sudden searing pain. That's the only thing like I could remember and screaming. I couldn't help it. And I remember him yelling, shut up, shut up. My dad's going to find out, shut up. And I was like, um... You know, like part of me was just like, okay, you got to shut up, Josh. Like, you know, take it. You need to do this. Um, and like, even there was a part of me that was like, it's going to be your turn next. Like, you know, just get through this and you can do that. Um, but it was just too much. I couldn't like, I screamed again and he finally got off and he was like, you know, so mad at me and he ran upstairs. Um, his dad came down and like, we all pretended like everything was fine um, that we were playing, you know, games too hard and fooling around too much, and um, so it took me a while to realize that that was sexual assault. Like at the time, I thought I was very much participating in it. I agreed to everything, um, but what I didn't realize until I was so much older, and like there was always this sense of shame. I didn't tell a soul what had happened until i was 18 years old um i ended up telling my parents because it all just came out at one point and i couldn't hold it in any longer and it was just before that that my sister who was four at the time that all this went down came forward and said that she believed that this same guy had sexually assaulted her as well when she was four. Oh my god um And when that came out, like, all of my shit just kind of, like, I couldn't hold it in any longer. Um, So now, like, I'm still figuring out where all that fits into where I'm at in my life right now with my anxiety, with, um, you know, there's certain triggers that I have um, that I can't really figure out exactly what causes them but like learning some of this now um has really helped me in overcoming that and like I think I got to the point where I was just like you know out of sight out of mind and I was able to push it back so much for so long that I felt like I had taken care of it that it was you know in the past it wasn't a big deal um but when I uh, was it in my mid twenties it all like, it was like finally to the point where it was like, okay, I can't hold this in anymore. And it all came flooding out at once. And like my wife didn't even know what to do. Cause I'm just like uncontrollably sobbing. Um, and that was the point, like that was the best point because that was the point where I realized I was not to blame in any part for that. So like it was, horribly sad because it was that finally point where like, I realized I was molested. I was raped. But at the same time, it was the point that I realized I didn't do anything to deserve that. So it was a very healing time, but it was a very like depressing time too. So it was kind of a mix between the two and beyond there. Um, I think there's been like major healing in my life as far as like mentally emotionally even in my sexual life um i feel like there's been growth that's been able to come as like as as i figured this stuff out and started to learn more um about myself
1: and so yeah that's that thanks for sharing man that's that's intense wow
3: did did he uh did he ever get caught the guy who was doing that that bullshit.
2: Nope. And here's the here's the crazy thing is um I actually reconnected with his younger brother, my friend. Um I moved away from that house when I was 14 and I'd never talked to either of them again until um I think it was like 5 years ago I found out his dad passed away. So I decided I'm going to go to the funeral. I'm going to talk to my friend and then I'm going to see his brother. And I'm going to shake his hand and I'm going to say, I'm sorry for your loss. And that's going to be my way of saying, like, you don't hold this over me anymore. Um, That was kind of like, I forgive you, you know, but I'm not going to live in this hellscape anymore. Um, So it was kind of my way of releasing. When I went to the funeral, um, when I saw my friend... um, he couldn't believe like, he was just like, I can't believe you're here. Like, you know, he was so glad, so thankful when I saw his brother, like there was part of me that was just like pissed. But then another part of me that was like felt vindicated, but his brother is a meth addict completely was out of his gourd at the funeral. Um, my friend actually has custody of his three kids because he can't support him anymore. So there's a mix there of, like... And he couldn't even remember who I was. The brother couldn't. Um, Or at least he said he couldn't. I saw something in his eyes that I think, like, he knew. And he didn't want to admit what he knew. Wow. But there was the other part of me that, like, I actually felt bad for him. Like, man, you... Like, what happened to you that you, number one, did this to... A four-year-old girl and a 10-year-old boy and number two that you've gone to using meth to cover up whatever it is and like you could always he always had such anger like you could just see it in his eyes it was like a rage that he just could not control and I always like felt that and I like at that point I felt compassion and I couldn't figure out where that was coming from but it was like I think that was the moment that I was just like it's not that monster anymore. You know, it's it's become physical. It's become a person. And it's become a person who something had to have happened in his life that triggered him to do what he did. So, it kind of gave like a uh a humanity to it.
3: Those are the times where you're like, yeah, I think I want to be a little bit like Jesus here. Y- you know. Yeah. If, if I believe in anything that guy believes yeah. in, I, I'll, you know, I, I commend you for doing that, man. I, I don't even know if I could do that because that's, that's incredible. That is a huge thing to do, to go and yeah. shake someone's hand and look them in the eye after they've done that. I'm a father. I mean, as, as, as are you, as are many of many people on this podcast are, um, that is right. something personally, I, again, I don't know if I could do that. That's, that is incredible to do. Um, I, I just, I, I think that he deserves justice though. So, you know, it's like with this whole movement, you know, there's, there's gotta, there's gotta be, there's, there's going to be times where, um, (laughs) you're, you're, that's going to be brought up and you, you've, you've got to, even if it's years later, have some sort of justice done. It's pretty wild. (laughs) There's two
0: things I wanted to touch on. Um, first of all, thank you for sharing that. Um, but I just do like be- around this, I'm sure that there was a lot of uh, making you question kind of everything to some extent. right. Um, maybe even sexuality, specifically how that started. And yeah, um, I did want to just throw out that like normal development for adolescent males and <laughs> uh, not adolescent prepubescent leading yeah. up to adolescence um that's uh playing around with one another experimenting doing that type of thing is 100 percent normal typical development um so like any shame or uh guilt that you may feel around that like dude throw that out um and what you had happened to you was 100% wrong. Um, you did nothing to deserve that. And I am so impressed to see everything that you've done with your life from that time. I mean, truthfully, it's inspiring. Thank you.
2: Honestly, like, there, I get to points where I'm just like, how the fuck did I get here? Like, <laughs> like I don't... it. it there's too often where it doesn't feel like it was a choice. And I hate that because like seeing so many other people suffer the way that I've suffered and me being able to live a pretty normal, um, healthy, you know, emotionally healthy, mentally healthy for the most part. I mean, you know, I deal with my depression and I deal with all of that, but definitely not to the level that I've seen other people struggle who've gone through the same thing I've gone through. And, like, I almost feel bad because I'm like, how was I able to grasp, like, you know, like, it is possible to be a fully functioning person going through what I've gone through. Um, I'm proof of that. However, more often than not, you deal with somebody, you have somebody who goes through something like that, and they go through years of therapy, years of, you know all these struggles questioning themselves. Um, You know, sometimes suicidal thoughts, uh, sometimes suicide. Um, And, and like, I, I wish I could give an answer to people who have gone through that. That is like the one thing they need to hear in order to be able to heal. And I know that that's not possible. And I know like, I don't know if it's luck or if it's like good upbringing Um, having surrounded by good people, um, having a good head on my shoulders. I don't know what it was, but there was some sort of connective, um, path that I went down where I was able to heal as much as I could in going through what I've gone through, um, without so much of the side effects that a lot of people struggle with, um, and I wish I could bottle that up and just send send that out to people. You know what I mean? Like, I wish I had an answer. I wish you know, like I fucking live this life. Like I should be able to know. Like here, here's the antidote. Here's <laughs> here's the equation. Um, but there
0: is, but there is no. But there
2: and it's different for exactly. everyone. exactly. Yeah, and that's that's the other big thing. Um, but man, I you know I can't help but say I feel blessed in in being able to be. A father, you know, a husband whose wife doesn't think I'm a complete asshole. (laughs) Like, um, I have a great relationship with my wife. Um, I I have a really solid relationship with my kids. Um, And everything I've gone through, I think, has prepared me, in a sense, to do this task that I'm doing now of, like, raising kids in... Uh, you know to be love in an unloving society um, and somehow I feel like I'm accomplishing that like my, my 14 year old is just oh, he's like his compassion level is like next level shit <laughs> it's insane but anyway like I just don't get it sometimes like I, I, I wish I wish I could give an antidote to people
1: Wow, Josh. So if I have four kids. Three mm-hmm. of the four are are girls. I had an experience somewhat similar um, to yours when I was pro- I was younger, um, probably more like six seven range and i'll tell that story here in a second just to make it fair after my really bad joke about homer and and everything and and having you you share your story i i I can we can tie that back into the whole thing about you know punching up or punching sideways and stuff like that knowing that i'm too like a a sexual abuse victim or whatever um wasn't wasn't trying to uh, be insensitive um but man, first of all, I want to say too, thank you so much for sharing. Um, you know what you did, and and wow, like that mm. was just a lot to unpack. It was definitely a roller coaster of emotions. I knew that there was a possibility you were going to like share the story, um, but I didn't know to what uh, depths you were going to share it. And I'm just like, I was, I wasn't prepared <laughs> for it. And but but it was, but it was, it was important and impactful and like you and like Seth shared you know like yeah s- some sexual expo- exploration you know amongst like you know your, your peers when you're young is normal you know but like what happened to you with with your friend's brother is not normal and not okay and and it's like to to, to recognize and, and know the difference
2: anybody listening right now if I could give you something to take away um the reason I'm able to go in depth the reason that I'm able to share as deeply as I have, is because i fully realize nothing i did was m- nothing that happened was my fault nothing that happened was my fault um and i didn't do anything wrong so like i shouldn't have any shame for what happened right that's something that some motherfucker did to me like it's not the uh, like that's the mentality that I think too many people struggle with is like it, they, they take on some of the blame and they say like, well, I, you know, and I could easily say because I participated in, you know, doing that stuff with my friend. That's why this happened, but it didn't. That's not why. And um, and I finally coming to the point of saying, like, I didn't do anything wrong. There's no reason for me to be ashamed in sharing what exactly happened. And I think there's a right. benefit to it
1: right and and so yeah definitely for me and my story like um i was a lot younger so i never even realized until much later in life what had happened you know that like cuz there was no arousal on my on my side or anything like that and so it wasn't until like i was like in my 20s like even like later in my 20s that i was like oh yeah that did happen that did, you know, and, and for me, I think it was more of just, I was confused and for my story. Okay. So it was a older, say a teenager, um, uh, maybe in his early, maybe an older teenager for, um, in my neighborhood who was also happened to be black. Um, I was raised by a white family. So it was interesting for me. Like he had younger siblings, you know, similar to your, to your story where I was friends. He had a lot of like a handful of siblings. And so I was, I'd go over there and hang out with them. And I remember I hung out with this guy, kid, whatever, a couple of times. And it was in the tree house um, behind our house. And I remember, um, it was all, it was all oral sex type stuff. And, and he, but he wanted to perform it on me bef- because I didn't know him it was it was all new to me. Like, you know, so like he wasn't going to have me do it until I, uh, how old was this kid? I, I'm having to guess, I bet um, he was definitely old, like much older than me, you know, but see, I was like, you know, six, seven. So like a teenager was like an oh, like, wow. was like an adult to me. You know what I mean? So, Whoa. like, you were you were six. I was like, yeah, like yeah, I was yeah, kid, kid age. Yeah, like yeah, like my oldest daughter is is eight years old. I was probably younger than her. Like, like it was for me. That's the thing. never. It wasn't even a sexual thing. I, all I remember, you know, it was like, like he was like super paranoid and telling me, like, kept telling me, like, just don't pee, just don't pee. You know, like, as he was trying to, like, arouse me or, like, like you know, perform oral sex. And being who I am, you know, you tell me not to do something enough times, you know, I'm like, well, why not? You know, what's this? And then, like, you know, then his reaction it, it was funny for me. And so um, I think it was one of those things where just because of my naivety and my not willingness to follow direction, I, I became an unlikely target and not fun for him anymore i think it was, it, it was one of those things that, like i just he kept telling me not to do things i kept doing the opposite of what he told me to do not not in a way of uh i wasn't scared or being defensive i just you know i just didn't know i just being an omar so
0: <laughs> yeah let's um i want to continue with this story um but i think josh you've gotta head out don't you yeah so I just, I mean, I just want to thank you so much for coming on today and sharing and and really being so vulnerable. Um, I really believe in in stories of lived experience, and uh, sharing what you shared today took a lot of courage, and I really appreciate it, Andy.
3: Thank you, man. Yeah, I, I, I can't even um, put myself. Uh, in your shoes. And I, I can't say I would have done the same things you did. So hats off to you, man. You are an incredible dude. And I, I feel like I am so much closer to you, uh, knowing all of this stuff about you. And that's, that's what I think is so powerful. Like just having power over it all. Like you speak about it. Yeah. You like, yeah, you're not afraid. And that is so, that's so badass, dude. So thank you. Oh, thank you, man.
1: Yes. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate you. You've been an awesome guest and, uh, thank you, Josh. Pray us out too, before you leave real quick. Yes, please. Sure,
2: Absolutely. Heavenly father, Lord God, I thank you so much for uh, allowing us to come together and just talk about our shit. Um, just be able to open wide and, um, you know, just be vulnerable. Um, I know that's where the power comes from, um, is just owning it and saying, you know, um, you know, it's, it's not mine anymore. Just opening it up and um, handing it off. And, and that's what I feel like happened today. And I thank you for allowing to, uh, for allowing me to come on here um, and just talk about it all. Um, I hope anybody who hears this um, can feel uh, some relief Um, in knowing that uh, they're not alone in in these experiences um, and that there are people who have um, survived as much as painful as it is um, that have survived, that are thriving, um, that are doing well. Um, And I thank you so much for allowing me to share some of that today, Lord. Um, I thank you for the guys in Fade to Gray, um, for being so amazing and, and just open um, and I appreciate that and I thank you for everything you do in Jesus name Amen Amen brother uh,
4: Thanks Josh Thanks Josh Thank you guys Yeah
3: have a good night We'll man. see you. Alright man thank you
4: Josh Wing everybody There you go We need to get some
3: clapping sounds
1: Oh yeah we can do that pretty <laughs> easily Dude Seth you ruined me with the whole uh, Holy Spirit being like gay submissive sex man uh, if if you put that in your mind and then just listen to that as we he, he prayed us out it, it, it was extremely comical in my head the entire time I'm sorry it was a very very good prayer <laughs>
4: he also asked the lord to open us wide
1: yeah, i did that's that open us wide and to they ba- didn't think just, about
4: that at
3: all
1: basically just submit and submit to it yeah <laughs> <laughs> are we going to hell <laughs> probably but it was great uh, it's not up to me <laughs>
3: I don't even get to the gate. (laughs) Yeah, but Seth, if you had control, control, we would be in hell, I'm sure, right? Or horrible.
1: Probably not all of you. (laughs) Yeah, I was was debating whether or not I should share my story or not. I wanted to share it for comradity, but at at the same time, I was like, I'm not sure if it was going to really fit, flow, and it's getting late. It was just, I just didn't unpack it until like decades later and realized what happened. and. And I would agree with Josh that it's just the powers and, like, being able to, like, talk about it, like, and recognize the situation. But I, my question was going to be bounced off of that, just how much of those experiences, though, even though, like I said, it was before I was knew anything about sex, wasn't aroused, wasn't equivalent, like, equating it to anything. But, I mean, I, I wonder, like, how much that affects, you know, what I do or how I respond or what I'm like or don't like you know or different things you know like obviously it's not like that experience turned me into like to our like older black guys now or anything like that but it was an interesting experience just because i didn't have a whole lot of uh, black or african-american we're say influence in my life at that point being raised by a white family and knowing that i was half black just wanting to be around that that was that was like that's weird. I was like, (laughs) maybe I'll just hang out with these white people instead. But like, (laughs) but no, (laughs) but, um, but no, I I definitely don't think it has anything to do with race or anything like that. I just think that for me and my story, it it plays an impact because it was like one of the few like black families in the neighborhood, you know what I mean? And so it was like, and so I can relate with these people because on a different level than I can, maybe some other, and then that happens. And so, didn't really hang out with that family very much after that. And it wasn't, and I don't think it was even, Ooh, this is interesting too. Cause I never even thought about it because it wasn't even me that didn't want to hang out with them. You know, it's just like, they just kind of stopped hanging out with me, you know, like he didn't want to hang out like me and maybe like kind of, I don't know. And so maybe that played into like some rejection issues and shit in my life too. I don't know. Anyway.
3: Well, yeah, it's, it's gotta have some sort of impact. That's <laughs> some it's, sort. it's going to, there's, there's no doubt about it. There's, when you experience something like that, I never, I never have experienced something like that. But um, even just the few things um, verbally from different people, and uh, you know, like my dad or whatever, it just those experiences alone can create stuff that, that will shape who you are later in life. So having an experience like that, I cannot even imagine what it would. But it, it takes. You guys talking about it and, and being bold and being honest and being transparent to use some awesome Christianese, uh, it's pretty fucking empowering.
1: Yeah, well, unfortunately, like you realize that it happens uh, more often than we want to admit, you know, and, and not talking about it kind of allows for the abusers to continue to have power. You know, I mean, can they continue to feel safe like they're gonna get, a, get away with something? You know, and you know, being thirty-seven years old with three daughters and a son, you know, like I wouldn't want any like anybody to feel like they have any advantage over them. So we gotta talk about it. Well, just I mean,
0: you know, we're talking about how common it is. I just think kind of looking at the numbers is important. Um, and according to the National Sexual Violence Resource Center one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused before they turn 18
4: that's in the United States or the world or uh, this is strictly the United States one in four girls that's what it
0: says and I'm going to go to that let me let me go to the footnote on that which is from a survey which from a research article so yeah Sexual Abuse in a National Survey of Adult Men and Women, Prevalence, Characteristics, and Risk Factors. And it was published in the 90s. So it's probably... So
4: it's probably gotten worse. It's probably different now.
0: Right, yeah, definitely. Those numbers are old. But the way that those statistics work, it's always behind the curve. Because you've got to wait. But we would would have something in the 2000s,
4: obviously.
3: Yeah, that's a heavy statistic. Yeah.
4: That's heavy. Um... That means that in my classroom, if I have a classroom of 30 kids, that means that at least seven of those girls have been touched. Or will be.
1: But or, or, or That's do, what will that be. means. Oh. That's what that means. But
3: does it... But, okay, so, all right, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. What if it is a scenario where literally it is someone like a situation that uh, Josh was experiencing uh It's it's basically someone who's consenting to that, and do they count that, if that makes sense? Do you see yeah, what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I don't, I, I don't. It depends on it's coming from article. I mean, it's got to be coming from a research article if it's going to be considered a statistic. Right. So it's got. I mean, that's just the it's the source of whatever the yeah. Article I mean, is I, I don't.
1: How do you get you, how do you get your data on that? And all articles are different. Right. Yeah. That that that'd be interesting. Because kids don't really talk about that, so... But,
0: uh, you know, the way to look at this, I mean, statistics aren't necessarily reality, right? It's just the odds. Sure. At our current rate.
3: You know, I I feel like with certain things available at your fingertips and your hormones getting the best of you even more so, probably now if someone's 12 or 13, then I can only imagine... or, Or maybe... Having that outlet maybe curbs it in some way. I don't know. Maybe not. That sounds like an idiot thing to say, but like you're still getting released. But I, I don't know. It's I, obviously it would still go up with the.
0: Yeah, I think the uh, chat rooms are the big, one of the biggest problems we got that kind of overpowers all of that. Like the chat, the chat rooms these kids are getting on. Like AOL <laughs> or MSN yeah, oh, yeah. Sure. but they've got like you know sex stuff online that kids find that can, there's a, some documentaries about it i think oh and there was the Gate thing there's one thing i i want to there's one other thing i want to mention before we kind of wrap up um and that is you know i think hearing these stories <laughs> probably should have put out a disclaimer um can be kind of traumatic and it can bring stuff up and so If you're listening to today's podcast, and uh, these stories have affected you, uh, these stories have impacted you, um, I want you to know that you are not alone. Um, There is confidential help available anytime, day or night, 24-7, and there is help available. So if you are finding yourself at a place where something has happened to you and you've never talked to anyone about it and you really feel that you need to get help, I wanna refer you to the National Sexual Assault Hotline. Uh, They have a 24-hour available line. Um, It's 1-800-656-4673. And as we know, with things like this, and especially hearing stuff like this, it can bring up stuff that makes us feel really uncomfortable. And so I also want to refer to Suicide Lifeline. I don't want you to know Suicide Lifeline is not just for suicide. Suicide Lifeline is the national hotline for essentially anything. Um, so if you've been impacted impacted today and would like to talk to a counselor or feel like you need to get in touch with a counselor, please feel free to reach out to National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's 1-800-273-8255. Thank you, Seth.
1: Yeah, th- thank you, Seth.
3: Right on.